Hello and welcome to another episode of Scouting for Growth, the podcast where we dig deep into the secrets of business success. I'm thrilled to have a very special guest with us today. Joining us is none other than Frank Mendoza, a revered figure in the realm of data analytics and AI strategy. A veteran of uh, over 20 years, Frank's experience in strategy, customer experience, and data science has made him an indispensable voice in the industry. His contributions to Fortune 500 companies like Nike, Kellogg's, Dr. Pepper, or Jim Beam, as the founder of Catalytics, have revolutionized the way this organization leveraged big data, artificial intelligence, and advanced analysis. In Frank's view, 2023 is the year of AI, a tool that, despite its growing prevalence, remains somewhat of an enigma to many companies. Frank, however, believes in its potential to empower growth and innovation and is passionate about helping businesses of all shapes and sizes navigate this complex landscape. He offers practical recommendations to implement AI, making this seemingly daunting technology accessible and actionable. We are incredibly lucky to have Frank with us today, ready to demystify AI, share his strategic insights, and help us scouting for growth in this exciting field. And if you like this podcast, do not forget to subscribe to it and rate it too. So without further ado, let's dive into our enlightening conversation with Frank Mendoza. Hi, Frank. Thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Absolutely, Sabine. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be here. So, Frank, you have been working with large enterprises and many companies um, within the sphere of strategy, customer experience, and data science. So it would be great for you to tell us about your 20 years in industry and where you are going now with AI and data analytics. Yeah, so uh, over the last eight years through Catalytics, I have the great pleasure of working with some amazing top brands. Um, and it's really been focused on, on really helping them introduce some of these advanced analytics concepts, machine learning, chatbots, things like that. Um, the hype has really gotten big, as you are well aware, right, over the last few months around some of these things called generative AI, uh, which is a little bit different than what we historically had called AI uh, or machine learning. Um, but, you know, in, in a nutshell, uh, it's gotten people really excited and companies are really uh, interested in taking advantage and being able to demonstrate kind of a, a competitive advantage uh, to some of their competitors. So it's a really exciting time to be in this space for sure. So you already talked about generative AI. So let's dive into, if you don't mind, the history yeah. 
of of AI because for me, generative AI is making AI much more accessible to the business. You know, I'm not a technology person. I know a lot of data scientists, but what I found with uh, generative AI, you know, whether I look at text, audio, video, is that I now understand what the output I'm going to get. And then as a creator, I can actually use all those tools which are there to create better content aligned to a specific customer segment. So teach us a little bit more about AI and why generative AI right now? Yeah, so let's talk about the two different types of um, what I like to call more traditional machine learning and now some of the generative. So more traditionally, there's always been a hype, or I shouldn't say always, over the last few years, there's been a, a significant hype around AI, but it's been more what I call narrow machine learning, which is you're providing a specific task or a specific um, function where you want to predict something. And that uh, model is trained on labeled data to get, you know, understand the patterns and the features and the attributes that drive and influence um, a, a, a target. And so what you're trying to do there is um, build a very robust model to make a prediction. Um, but and, and that gets very good. It actually can get very well if you give it the right data and the amount of uh, training and things like that. But it's really good only in that function. When we're now talking about generative AI with the introduction of things like ChatGPT and MidJourney and those types of things, you're now shifting the paradigm from you know inventing with tools to tools inventing, right? So there are things now that tools are doing that are really creating something that had not been existed before. Maybe it's a derivative of something. Uh, You provided a prompt and it gives you an output. And that's what people are really excited about because I think it's leveled the playing field. Um, It's going to really focus on the productivity aspects and improving people's ability to go execute. Um, But it will require, you know, of course, additional training and some guardrails around where to use it, when to use it, and what's the right application to be used. So you mentioned mid-journey. So I would say, Frank, I've tried for sure OpenAI, you know, prompt-based content and prompt engineering. I've played with mid-journey and Leonardo Mm -hmm. AI, and I prefer Leonardo because I can actually understand how the output comes about. Uh, Because as I said, I'm a lemon person in AI. I'm just understand how it works but I'm not a technician, I'm not a data scientist. So when you look at businesses out there, how do you apply AI and potentially generative AI for big companies vis-a-vis small businesses? How do you differentiate how they should be using and leveraging these technologies? Yeah, so I think, um, Sabine, one of the challenges that companies face, large or small, is they all have a uh, time is the one constraint everyone has, right? And whether you're a big company and you have the ability to throw money at it or you're a small company and you don't have that that luxury, um, the fact of the matter is that you really need to focus your attention. So when I approach a company and we're talking about the potential of leveraging AI, really want to get focused on where exactly you're going to be using it. Um, so how it's going to be used and in what context and making sure there's a direct tie to business value. So what are the business objectives that the organization is trying to get to? And is there an opportunity for AI to augment and you know complement those objectives? 
Um, but the key here is to make sure that you're identifying the right use cases and then prioritizing those use cases. Because one thing that no organization can, can waste is resource and uh, you know time. And so by right now, there are so many tools that are being thrown out uh, in, into the environment. Um, it's caused a lot of paralysis analysis, right? So organizations are struggling to figure out which tool should I use and where should I use it and who should be using it and why should they be using it? all these questions. And it results into kind of just paralysis where they're like, well, uh, I, I'm not sure where I'm going to use it. So I'm just going to let my people use it. Um, and my approach is you really need to have a strategic approach to how you're leveraging these technologies to make sure that you're, you're, you're getting the biggest bang for the buck. So, one of the conversation I'm having with, you know, Fortune 500, which is, you know, a big part of the work you are doing today, Frank, with Catalytics, is that when we talk about OpenAI or generative AI, is no one wants to put customer data on those platforms mm -hmm. because you are actually putting at risk your reputation and your customer data. So a lot of the trial and error I made on either fake data or things which are in the public knowledge already, right? We are playing with things which are already out there and we are seeing how the data is coming out, maybe more refined and much more targeted and so on and so forth. What is your view on the best usage of AI, data, generative AI, when you actually look at the risk reputational risk of AI within the corporation itself. Yeah. So I think, you know, for every organization is unique. And I think the applications of AI are going to be unique for those organizations as well. But I think there, to your point, Samin, I think you're, you're, you're identifying things that are typically challenges for any organization that's introducing AI into their, into their, uh, into their process. Um, one of those you, you mentioned customer privacy, uh, customers, have given you the privilege of providing information uh, about themselves, information that's, you know, and very important to them and for you as well to grow your business. And so how you use that information, where you um, provide that information to models, all those things are very vital to ensuring that you're, provide, you're, you're doing the things you're necessary to protect that information. So things like OpenAI's ChatGPT, that's you know a, the ability to retrain on the questions that you're asking, and, the, and the, those are situations where you really want to make sure you're providing guardrails or at least guidelines to your organization about what you what you are uh, allowing them to put into there. The other piece of it is around bias. So as you can imagine, these generative AI solutions have been trained on publicly available data, publicly available images, et cetera. Now, uh, our, 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 our society is moving, I, I believe, in a, in a positive direction, but has not moved all the way where it needs to move. And the net result of that is there's a lot of information out there uh, that's still filled with uh, biases, uh, hate, et cetera. And these models are trained on that. And so you want to make sure that when you're leveraging these tools, that you're taking into consideration those biases um, and, and those inherent challenges with leveraging these models and ensuring that you have some level of human judgment 
in the loop and so that you make sure that they're not being um, given autonomy and just allowing the AI to come up with a solution. I was recently attending a series of, you know, digital uh, session events with COGEX. And uh, just to echo what you were saying, what came out of some of those sessions is that 60% of the models being built with generative AI are still very much coming from the United States. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing, let's say 35 to 40 came from from France. So you can already see the biases, right? You have two big countries already delivering all these generative AI capabilities. And yes, there are some from Israel and there are some from other countries, but I would say 80% is still very biased towards two different markets where um, artificial intelligence has been embedded in the core and the fabric of the country. So where we actually start building those biases. So, which takes me to my question around catalytics. You know, you've been working with Fortune 500 for many years. Frank, can you share example as to what good looks like when you start looking at artificial intelligence and implementing it within a big corporation? Yeah. So, uh, one thing to consider when when you're introducing this uh, these advanced analytics concepts is you have to understand where you sit in the evolution of analytics. So in the early stages, when a company is starting to introduce analytics, they're more in what is deemed descriptive analytics. So what's happening today? Um, then they move into diagnostics. So typically something um, negative happened. You missed a sales number or uh, there was a target that you did. So now you're starting to ask, you know, why did this happen? And so you're looking at historical information. As you continue to move that up, up that evolution and start to mature as an organization, you move into predictive. That's when you're starting to take advantage of some of these technologies where you're trying to create a prediction. Um, and then, the, you know, one of the final stages, there's other stages, but the, one of the final stages is uh, prescriptive. That's where you're not only entering into prediction, but you're also saying, what's the next best action I should take and how can I make it happen? So when you start looking at the evolution, um, you really need to ask yourself where you are from a culture perspective and from a, a maturity perspective. But then you also, like we mentioned before, Sabine, is what is the business objective? So in one particular account uh, I was working with, there was a challenge with forecasting models, right? So there was a challenge with, um, there was oversupply in their um, logistic pipeline. And so they were trying to understand how do we get better from a forecasting perspective? And historically, they were leveraging internal data to create these forecasting models. Um, Still really good, strong models, but they wanted to see if they could get better accuracy associated with it. So what we did was we engaged with them. We identified some startups that were um, providing macroeconomic indicators, and we started building them into the internal process of the forecasting model. By creating these predictive models, what you then could do is introduce these macroeconomic indicators, identify which ones of those were the most correlated, and then start getting a better idea of what the market looked like. And so from your organization's perspective, you know, less mature organizations are really looking at internal data. How do they leverage it? How do they use it? How do they uh, improve their processes? Uh, the more mature organizations are going to start to look externally as well to say, I'm, now I need to bring other data because world happens outside my four walls of my business. Uh, 
and introduce those to make sure my accuracy of my, my in this case, uh, forecast is that much improved. Does that help? It helps. And, you know, whilst you were talking about Nest Best Action, I believe I was working with the first company talking about Nest Best Action in 2010, and the name was Cordiant, and um, they're being acquired by Pega. But the whole predictive analytics at the time was all about predictive analytics, it was about predicting, you know, what was the next best action from a customer so that we could actually render the next best offer or whatever as part of the, um, let's call it workflow, the series okay. of activities and streamline activities we wanted the customer to be um, able to engage with from a marketing and sales viewpoint. So Frank, you have an act at making complex top topics simple, right? And helping people understand what artificial intelligence is, how they can make best use of it. Can you help us, you know, when we look at big companies now moving to younger companies, you know, founders who may want to make the best of AI to augment their staff, augment their organization, to actually deliver against their own organization's um, customer requirements? So how do they do that and what the benefit of it is for them? Yeah, so an analogy I like to use. So, so I mean, my background is mechanical engineering. So when I was in school, I was studying about movement of objects, right? And so there is a good analogy here when you start talking about when you're moving an object, um, friction tends to play a part in movement across another surface. And depending on how heavy that object is and the surface that you're gliding it on, friction can be either higher or lower and that you know you, you tend to use a, a term called the coefficient of friction when you're talking about that in mechanical engineering terms um, what generative ai and ai in particular offers you is the ability to lower that coefficient of friction so when you have multiple tasks that you're trying to perform whether that be i'm writing you know web uh, page copy or i'm you know writing an email or i'm trying to automate processes I'm researching a topic. Those tasks can be very heavy for an individual if you're starting from a blank page, right? If you're starting from a blank slate, it could be taxing and for lack of a better word, heavy to try and start on something like that, much less get to um, a final product. What I think AI offers you is the ability to lower that coefficient of friction on those heavy tasks and offer you a first draft, right? So it offers you the ability to get to your final destination that much quicker, to move that heavy object that much quicker, but a much lower coefficient of friction, if you will. That's right. a great so, way to express it. Yeah, understand. Great way to express it, uh, Frank. And as you were actually talking about the friction, so, uh, you know, you mentioned the cost of AI, you know, uh, generative AI, when you actually look at uh, the market for uh, fintech, insurtech, um, mm -hmm. AI tech, um, the market, you know, when you look at investment in technology, is going to go down in 2023. When I look at my industry, fintech, um, you know, 150 billion were raised by startup in 2021. That went down to around 75 billion 
2022, this is expected to be even half to, I would say, 50 billion, maybe 70 billion uh, when you look at the whole fintech ecosystem this year. And me, who work with insurance company, insurance technology providers, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, from 17 billion in 2021, 8 billion last year, we expected 4 to 5 billion this year. So it's bad. It's really bad. However, generative AI is expected to do 28 billion this year. Um, when for the past, I would say 10 years, Frank, it's been around two to three billion. So this is a reverse effect yeah. because of since I guess November 2022, there's been a shift. Which takes me to your views around growth and how do we drive growth with AI? Um, you know, we talk about cooperation, you need to good have good data. You know, insurance has great data. They have a lot of data. They have a lot of historical data. A lot of it they don't use. Can you tell us the layers of data we need to look at, why the data need to be clean, and what we can do with great data when we can apply AI to augment a business, not to replace people, right, to augment the things we do every day? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges, and you're you're recognizing it, um, is the ability to leverage these tools is predicated on your uh, quality of information, right? Whether that be structured data, which, uh, as you mentioned, insurance companies have tons of, right? These are things like um, the name of the of the person, their you know social security number. It, when when I talk about structured, think of tabular data. Think of something you would use in an Excel or a Google Sheets, um, very column rows type thing. That's structured data. Um, unstructured data is audio. It's text. It's images. It's those types of things. I think organizations, as they move into leveraging some of these generative AI solutions, are going to have to focus more on the unstructured and ensuring that the quality exists within those unstructured data sources as well. So, you know, being able to grab a list of reviews on a service or a product that you have and ensuring that it's quality reviews and that you're able to take it and vectorize it and place it in a situation where a large language model can then be trained on it and you can uh, learn from it. All those things require foundational governance and they require foundational effort to put into uh, a situation where you have the quality, you have the lineage, you have the cataloging, you have the ability, the metadata, you have the ability to really understand your data to really identify where can we use this data to provide value to my business. And so I think what you're talking about, Sabine, is the ability for you to execute AI is, again, predicated on your quality of information. And so I encourage organizations to start looking at that and um, take advantage of what I call data enablement, which is get the data enabled, already to be enable the business to actually move forward. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a daunting task, um, but also you don't want to um, boil the ocean. And that's where I help organizations try and understand where exactly they should put their focus, their energy, and their effort. So I want to go into use cases, right? We are talking about big companies and we are talking about small businesses. And it will be great as we move towards uh, the latter part of uh, this discussion 
to have concrete examples where, you know, company can get started. The small company can get started, right, Frank? But before we go into that conversation, let's talk about responsibility, mm-hmm. responsible AI. You know, I met recently um, an amazing scientist, one of the, the most renowned in the United Kingdom, who said to me, Sabine, there is no ethics in AI. It's about ethics around people. And actually, when he explained to me what he meant, is like only people would do something wrong with the technology. It's not technology is not going to do any wrong. It's just the input we are going to give it to it. So how do companies understand their responsibility around responsible AI? You know, I spent a lot of time reading the press in recent days between, you know, OpenAI having to put like watermarks into the generative AI to the court, actually, in the United States, the politicians, the regulator, trying to make sense of it so that we do not, you know, start providing or, you know, spreading fake news as well. So how do we consider the responsibility we have when we start looking at AI? No, it's it's a great question, and uh, I love I love the answer that that the the uh, person you spoke with discussed because it is a tool. It's a tool like any other, right? And all tools can be used uh, for malicious purposes or positive purposes, right? Uh, I always use the analogy of a hammer. I could build a house with a hammer, or I could hurt somebody, you know, maliciously with a hammer. It's a tool. Um, that being said, though we have to recognize the power of this tool and the influence that it can have on individuals, especially when you start running these situations where you can um, clone voices, right? And, and run into those situations. There will always be malicious people. And I think right now the technology and the releasing of the technology into the society right now is moving much faster than of course, any legislation and regulation is, can get in front of it. Um, but I w- I'm old enough to recognize when the internet was very much young, right? And um, recognize that there was a lot of challenges with the internet, a lot of situations where um, people were using it maliciously. I think the reality is we have a long journey on this. We're still in the infancy. Um, but to your point, it's going to be pre- it's going to be based on people, not necessarily organization. It's going to be based on how people are deciding to use it. And people within organizations are going to have an influence on that. So how do you use customer information? Where are you providing that customer? How are you protecting that customer information? It's just one example, because the value of it lies in the more you understand somebody, the more personalized you can make the message, the more uh, inclusive you can actually make your message to an organization and then open up the opportunity for additional market share and growth within your organization if you play the cards right but if you don't we all know and we all have experiences with you know the cambridge analytics and facebook debacle that happened a few years ago you lose a lot of trust really quickly and that results in um you know it, it'll take a long time if ever that you'll be able to build that trust up with your with your uh, customers. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I've, in some ways, respect for uh, the brains who got us to where we are, for example, in social media. At the end of the day, you need to start somewhere and you have to learn from your mistakes. But one platform I don't want to use much would be the one you mentioned, even though I quite like Instagram and I'm testing thread, which yeah. takes me to... 
use cases and understanding where the opportunity lie, Frank. I think, you know, when I look at uh, places I used to work on when I was at Cordian, it was around customer acquisition and customer attrition, which I assume is still a very hot use case, right, for AI. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so uh, I've worked with uh, clients on customer churn challenges and uh, retention challenges and things like that. Um, it's 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 a great use case. Um, again, is it aligned to the business objective? The thing you'd always want to ask yourself. But if the answer is yes, um, the reason I, I love those type of challenges is because people have hypotheses. They 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 think they know why uh, someone's churning, or 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 maybe they don't. Right. But the reality is you can gather information, gather data, and then start to do the analysis and start to recognize, are there patterns? Are there situations? Uh, For example, uh, one client I worked with, uh, we ended up realizing that by a customer attending their annual event, they were much likely to stay with that customer. Now, that's kind of intuitive if you think about it, Um, but it it was nice to put a number and quantify the the value of someone getting to that event, right? Um, It meant that they were engaged, right? The hypothesis was that if they're going to our environment, they're going to stay with us. And we were able to validate that, but also quantify the value of that, right? And so that was just one, you know, if you will, lever that we identified as an opportunity for um, the customer success team to focus on. Um, But I think it's, it's a fantastic example, Sabine, of how I approach analytics and how I think you know the approach should be, which is start with a hypothesis and then start to work the way backwards, which is what data do we have available? What, you know, do we have, if we don't have the data, how do we start to collect the data to start to answer this question or that question? And you want to be careful though, that you're not choosing data that is biased, that's trying to prove your hypothesis, right? That you're truly trying to get as much data as you can because the you know the ability for you to recognize or other attributes that you weren't thinking about um, is is important into in, in your analysis of that situation. Which um, also make me think, as you are speaking, Frank, about people, the people angle. Another, I would say, challenge opportunity is that for me, you know, using artificial intelligence and some of the easy to use artificial intelligence capabilities which are there, is you're able to augment people. But what is happening really right now is we have a skill gap. And then AI actually allows us to do more with less, so with fewer people. And most businesses today, it's easier to actually use a technology because you know what the outcome can produce. You just mentioned it, attrition, acquisition, you can measure it. It's more difficult with people. So once you see that balance around the current skill gap, future skill requirements, and where AI is going to take us. Yeah, so I, you know, when I'm asked kind of where should people focus their skills in the future, um, historically, uh, it's been around knowledge. Right, you go get a degree, you go take a certification, you go learn something, and now you know something, right? The idea there is that by knowing something, you then can move on to creativity and create something based on what you know, right? And that's where you're able to take disparate pieces of knowledge and create something unique and novel. 
But then you move on to the third piece, which is wisdom. And in my experience, wisdom is gained only through experience. And wisdom is gained by asking questions like, just because I can create something, should I create something? And what value does that bring to the world? Right? So if you will, there's knowledge, creativity, and wisdom. Right? Historically, like I said, knowledge is where people were played very handsomely for knowing something. I think in the future, value is going to be um, you know, paid out to people based on their ability to create and their wisdom, right? And so I think, you know, wisdom is going to be storytelling. It's going to be human judgment. It's going to be, do I, just because MidJourney provided this output, does that align to my message? Does that align to my brand? Does that align to what I'm trying to communicate to the world and add value to the world? Those are questions that AI right now cannot answer. You need a human in the loop to help do that. And so when people ask me about skill gap, I think right now the skill gap is, of course, in leveraging these technologies because these technologies are relatively new. But in the near future, it's going to be more, are you able to create augmented by AI? And do you have the wisdom to recognize when this aligns to your purpose and, and the value you're trying to contribute to the world? So I say focus on creativity and wisdom in the future. Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree with you. Uh, from my experience using uh, those tools, because I had to reflect on, okay, what output I'm getting and actually, as you said, what content I'm putting out in the world. So what I realize is human in the loop is very important. And mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, also what I realize is experience so the land of time we've done something many times and expertise what we know means when we actually see rubbish coming out of this system we can it's like this is bullshit <laughs> <laughs> right we yes. can identify it and so that takes me to the knowledge part from the creativity part i have to say you know i've played with a platform and you think you know you could go into get here and you can buy your picture you know get here stocksy you know or get something from unsplash right all those great platforms to get a picture but then you can get your own content down on Midjourney or uh, stability ai or uh, leonardo but what i realized it actually takes a little time to prompt to get what you want so actually you spend a lot of hours i would say probably not hours but let's say maybe an hour to actually produce that perfect picture yeah. and so that goes even in those situations right sabine what my experience has been i don't know about yours is it's still not exactly what i'm looking for right uh and that's where you need to engage a real graphic designer right? a, a real person who can take that right and in a lot of instances it can't do words right no. a lot of these technologies are, are horrible with words and, and so you still need What's that? And ants. Yeah, exactly. And hands and teeth, uh, all those types of things. And so you really, again, the technology is not there. And, and that human in the loop adds that extra piece that really starts to align with what I think the vision is. Um, but it, it's it's a challenge. And I think, in, I believe that these prompts and the ability to interact with these tools are going to get easier. It's going to have, you know, more choices available than just, you know, let me write the perfect prompt. However, I still believe that the human in the loop is going to be critical to providing that human judgment 
and providing that emotional connection that you have with your clients. I'll tell you recently, um, so I'm do playing with those tools and the word tested, so, you know, MVP and learning around lean startup methodology. I will create those prompts and I will create those pictures and I will use only, I'll put it on my Twitter just to see how people respond. Mm-hmm. And you have the nice people say, oh, Sabine, have you seen the end? I said, yes. And I wanted to see what people, whether people look. Yeah. And some some would be so nasty. It's like, oh, you're using generative AI. Why are you doing this? And I'm getting like slatered on bloody Twitters. And sometimes I get really nice people. And it's interesting because people don't realize I'm using this as a test ground to see yeah. how people respond to this. And sometimes I will put me journey. People sometimes will put um, Leonardo AI. People sometimes put nothing because I want to actually understand how people respond to this. And it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I love that approach because I think um, in, in lean startup fashion, right, what we've entered now is what I call the age of iteration. Yes. The ability to quickly iterate on a draft of an image or a draft of an email or a draft of whatever is very low cost to us right now, right? The, you know, chat GPT is free. You can go to Bing, you can go to Google Bard, you can go and, and just quickly iterate. Like I, I want to write about X or can you provide me some examples of Y? And it will provide those iterations and you can tweak it and play with it and iterate again. So that it, it, the ability to iterate quickly and test fast I think aligns quick, uh, very cl- closely with that lean startup mentality, which is fail quickly, right? So put something out there into the world, see what it gives you, learn from it, iterate again, put it out into the world, right? And I think these generative AI solutions offer the ability to really embrace that methodology, that lean startup methodology. So Frank, I'm not. I'm sure a lot of people reach out to you to get educated as to how they can use AI and generative AI better. But I want to highlight that you have experiences with big corporations like Nike and Kellogg's. So can you provide, you know, based on, I know we talked about example before, but I want an example as to how insurance and finance can learn from you as well. Yeah, so I, I think, again, I've developed a framework to look at how to leverage these generative AI solutions. And it's really predicated on two axes, right? If you will. Um, the first, the, the, the y-axis, if you will, is human creativity. So when you're looking at a task, and we talked about this earlier, Sabine, you really want to look at a process or a human, a customer journey, for example, where you're really taking into consideration where you potentially could augment these solutions. So I encourage people to kind of map out where their their customers are engaging with their brands to understand where the potential exists. And when you identify those opportunities, you really want to ask yourself two questions. How much human creativity is necessary for this step? And the second question is, how much of a competitive advantage is this for my organization? Human creativity, what I mean by that is it's unique to my brand. I, I need a human to provide that judgment, to provide that that visualization to make sure that I'm providing the right message. And it cre- it needs a human involved to make sure that that occurs. Human, uh, the competitive advantage aspect is, is this something that really differentiates me in the industry? Is this something that really differentiates me from my competitors? And if the answer is yes, that's not something necessarily you want to delegate to an AI, right? That's something you want to maintain in-house. You want to make sure that you're providing your expertise and knowledge to provide value. So when you look at those two, you know, two axes, if you will, it creates kind of a four, 
uh, square, a two by two, if you will. And the upper right, which creates a lot of human creativity and a lot of computer, uh, competitive advantage, you want to maintain in-house. You don't want to necessarily augment that to an AI. The bottom left-hand corner, which is low creativity, low competitive advantage, those are where your opportunities lie. Those are where you want to look at to an AI. It has low competitive advantage. So it's okay if an AI takes and does that task, or at least augments someone doing that task. And then the other two is where you're going to be looking at, should I augment with AI? Or should I outsource this opportunity to somebody else? Or should I do some a mix of both, right? But you really want to look at that from those two aspects, from a competitive advantage and from a creativity to ensure that you're leveraging it. So let's take, for example, human, uh, the finance and insurance. I think you want to look at the, the path of where people are touching your brand and identify if there's opportunity to really understand, maybe create segmentation using machine learning, and then really creating crafting messages specific to each segmentation using generative AI, for example. That's superb. So I'm sure, Frank, people are wondering, where can I find Frank right now? Tell us, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, so um, love to connect on LinkedIn. You can find me, Frank Mendoza, and Catalytics on LinkedIn. Um, and then catalytics.ai. So uh, feel free to email me at frank at catalytics.ai or visit my website at catalytics.ai as well. Thank you. So, Frank. What would be your last recommendations and word of wisdom for us all? Yeah, I think it's two pieces. One is experiment. You know, we talked about Lean Startup a little bit. Um, get out there and play with the technology. Don't be afraid. The wave is coming. The wave is almost here, right? The wave is here. You can ride that wave or get crushed by that wave. And I think the ones that are going to be successful are the ones that dive in and start to learn how to surf and learn to leverage these technologies and augment their day-to-day -day work today. The second piece of advice I'd give you is don't just jump in and try anything for your organization. Really recognize where your value is, what your business objectives are, and see if AI can augment those business objectives to get you success in the long term. So experiment, but also focus your attention and energy on the ones that are going to give you the biggest bang for the buck. Yeah, it's about first strategy, purpose, vision, mission. And then it's about iteration, right? And yes. it's what I'm doing every day now, Frank. You know, I, I play with the thing. And whilst I don't like when I get like those nasty people on Twitter and I'm much more careful about my LinkedIn, I have to say it's fascinating how people are uh, responding to the current transformation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a, you know, change is difficult for anyone. Um, but what you have to recognize is uh, the only thing constant in life is change, right? And so you have to uh, understand when these disruptive technologies come about. And they are, this is a very disruptive technology. And I think it's going to influence a lot of pieces of our lives, personal and professional. And your ability to embrace it sooner rather than later, I think, is going to be a positive in the long run. Yeah, no doubt. So, Frank, thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. If you like this podcast, subscribe now 
share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.